You will now hear the second of five Bible prophecy messages from Isaiah delivered in the King is Coming Auditorium at Colton, California by Dr. Gary G. Cohen. Dr. Cohen is now beginning to speak from Isaiah 35 and 40 on the subject, Comfort Prophesied to Jerusalem. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 35 to start. Isaiah chapter 35. I'm going to be a little shorter than I was yesterday. Nobody told me I was long, but the clock did. So I don't want to go that long again so that somebody might tell me. But that's nice. But uh, Isaiah 35, and let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that Your Word is true and the truth, and You've told us the future written in advance. Now, Heavenly Father, with Thy Spirit, humble our hearts, tune us in to Thy good news, Help us to love the Lord Jesus Christ more and comfort us as you've comforted your ancient people with these writings. In his name, amen. Well, these chapters, 35, is a, that's a comforting chapter, and then 36 to 39 is about the attack of Sennacherib on Jerusalem, which just for tonight we're not going to go into, and chapter 40 is another chapter of comfort. Chapter 40, and I'm just then I'm going to go back to 35, says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. And if you've ever heard anybody or any uh, modernistic book claim that there might be two Isaiahs, uh, it's because uh, about 100 years, somebody uh, read the beginning of Isaiah, which denounced the people for their sin, then they got to chapter 40, which said, comfort ye, comfort ye, and the, the person said, well, it must be a different author. Uh, there never was any uh, second chapter in Isaiah, a uh, second book in Isaiah, Isaiah found. In other words, the Isaiahs we found, even the Dead Sea Scrolls, written before the time of Christ, are all in the one manuscript. There's no evidence in the whole world that there's two Isaiahs, or even three Isaiahs, except for somebody saying, uh, the beginning of Isaiah uh, denounces Israel and uh, chapter 35 then chapter 40 writes about comforting Israel. Well, if you look at some of my books, you could say some of my books are scholarly books and uh, I, I wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress in the 20th Century. It's an allegory, almost a fun book. Uh, different. I've heard people say that uh, John and Revelation were written by two different people, which is silly. And uh, I know I've translated them in the Greek, translated Revelation for the New King James Bible. But uh, the book of Revelation talks about the future. The Gospel of John talks about our Lord's ministry. Well, every now and then you read an article that somebody will say, well, they ran a vocabulary frequency test. Well, that doesn't prove authorship, really. Because, of course, the Gospel of John is going to talk about Galilee, disciples, Pharisees, Sadducees. Those words will appear over and over. Uh, his mother, Mary, because it's talking about his ministry and life. You get to the book of Revelation, it's dragons and seven heads and four heads and all kinds of horns. A totally different subject. 
therefore a totally different vocabulary, though he does use some expressions. So John and Revelation were written by the same author, and all of Isaiah was written by the same author, period, stop, no doubt. Some things I am doubtful about. I don't push every little thing in the world, but there's one Isaiah, no doubt, and there's only been one set of manuscripts ever found, always running through Isaiah. But now, he's talking about comfort. You see, uh, he has denounced them for their sins, but to the faithful remnant, he's saying comfort. And uh, he looks to the future in chapter 35, and he says, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. So the first point in his comfort is good news ahead. Someday, that desert in Palestine and then the rest of the world with it shall be a happy place. Yes, as we said yesterday, there is an awful king, Ahaz, ruling, and God is about to judge. The Assyrians will come in the north and the Babylonians in the south, but nevertheless, he says, comfort. God knows all about the troubles. And God says, look beyond the troubles. Sometimes in our life, we have to look beyond the troubles, even to heaven. Look beyond the troubles, there's comfort. The world is not going to end in a nuclear holocaust. Though if without God, well, it might. Without God, well, it might. It's not going to be destroyed. The population of the world is not going to be destroyed in the end. But someday the desert shall rejoice. Now, that's not because around 1900 everybody read this verse and said that's because everybody will get converted. Around 1900, most Christians thought, and, uh, or I would say the majority, that the world would be converted. And missionaries were going around the world, Hudson Taylor in China, and all these missionaries in Africa, and people said, soon we're going to have a whole converted world, and uh, Adoniram Judson in Burma, and in India, and people are saying, yes, the desert is going to bloom because everybody's going to become nice. And would that it were so. But no. The comfort is not because sinful man, sinful man is going to bring Armageddon. Sinful man is going to see armies marching in the Middle East to destroy Jerusalem. But the Lord is coming again, and the comfort is he will, when he comes, make a beautiful desert, fill it with water, and make it rejoice. And... Uh, I'm going to say something I've never said in my life before, and again, when I leave, Dr. Estep can say, we're sorry what Cohen said that second night, and uh, he can correct it. Nobody has to write me a letter that he corrected it. I give him permission to correct me in any of these messages. But if Israel, at the second coming, the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose, don't you think there will be world effects and the deserts around San Bernardino and Colton will blossom like a rose? Now, I wouldn't get in a big fight. I won't have a big argument uh, in the back if somebody disagrees. But I think when the Lord Jesus comes, not only, you see, will Israel's deserts blossom, 
but the world's deserts will blossom. You see, God will not, because of sin, be holding back blessing anymore. And I believe it's going to start to rain in all the right places, and property values in this area will go up. So if you think the second coming is near, buy desert land. Now, now that will have to think out, Dr. Estep, and... Uh, such, but you, I'm, not, I'm going to back to Florida so you can handle the desert land sales here. Now, in verse 4, he says, Say to them that are fearful, be strong, fear not. God will come. Well, we say, Praise the Lord. God will come with vengeance. So, at the second coming of Christ, when the world who trusts will be comforted, it says he will come with vengeance. That fits the rest of the Bible teaching that the world will not be saved at the second coming of the Lord Jesus and he with vengeance will have to stop, set apart, prevent, punish, and put out of the system many, many wicked people. And there are murderers today that are getting away with it internationally in the Middle East and around the world. And so when the Lord comes, he will come with a vengeance, a flaming fire, and at last the wicked will be put off the planet. Now, all kinds of arguments, Matthew 25, how will he do it? And every now and then you read somebody say he'll throw them into the stars, he'll throw them directly to the lake of fire, He'll nuclearize them. Whatever it is in Matthew 25, he will put them out. And the wicked will not enter the millennial kingdom. He will come with a vengeance and the world will be cleaned up. It says, and he will come and save you. The end of verse 4. God will come and save you when he comforts. Now, how will he save us? This was written 700 years before Christ. And uh, I've had the privilege of studying the Talmud. The Talmud looks like the Encyclopedia Britannica. It's about 36 volumes. Uh, at our college, we have uh, volumes half in English, half in Hebrew. There are three volumes alone, about 600 pages each in English translation. Then you add the Hebrew on the Sabbath. Remember all the arguments the Lord got involved in the Sabbath? Well, they have 1,800 pages, almost 2,000 pages, to tell you how to act on the Sabbath. And so the Lord, the Lord said, you bind heavy burdens on men's shoulders. Boy, you had to be a scholar to get through that once. To deal with women. Now, it's interesting, they devoted 1,800 pages to the Sabbath only in how to deal with women, and don't be offended now, but in how to deal with women, they only dev devoted 1,200 pages. It's about the size of the Bible. Tips on how to deal with women, get engaged, and all that. 1,200 pages in the Talmud. Well, you could, you know, if you started at 16, you could have it all read when you're about 46 and be ready to get married. Wow. Wow, it's, it's a long bunch on how to deal with women. Well, we might be sympathetic with that. But with all of those thousands and thousands of pages of the Talmud, 
rabbis through the centuries quoted and writing, no one figured out what this meant. He will come and save you. Verse 4. Uh, now, I haven't read every last word in the Talmud, but I sure have uh, looked at the volumes from beginning to end and read a lot. I think I'm on very safe ground to say centuries of Jewish rabbis who studied this Bible and Isaiah 35 day and night and who read this verse, he will come and save you. Not one rabbi in a thousand years figured it out. You just think of that. Mine, a wonder chapter 40 says, and Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11, at the end of Romans 11, says, Who hath been his counselor? Who thought it out? How unsearchable is God's wisdom? Who advised God? Who was his lawyer? Who told God how to do it? That he developed a plan of salvation that not one rabbi in a thousand years guessed it right. That Jesus Christ... The Messiah would take on flesh, God would take on flesh, and he'd come twice. He'd come twice, though it's so clear now. He'd come twice. The first time he would come to comfort us and save us by dying on the cross. The second time he comes to put the world in order. He will come and save us. He's coming twice. No rabbi thought that out in a thousand years. Some said, if Israel is good, he'll come and deliver us. But if Israel is bad, he'll be the suffering servant that we'll talk about tomorrow night in the best chapter of Isaiah, chapter 53. But no rabbi ever, it never came to mind in a thousand years of studying the scriptures that he'd come twice. My what a plan of salvation. What a plan of salvation, like all that God does. And I've been thinking, you know, what will happen when the Lord comes? I think, well, you know, it says every eye will see him. Israel shall look at him, Zechariah 12.10. Israel will be converted. He'll take up the, ant the Antichrist and false prophet, throw them in the lake of fire, destroy the armies at Armageddon in Israel. Put Satan in prison. Gather the nations, Matthew 25, and Israel and judge them. And he'll start the millennial kingdom. And if I live long enough, I'd like to write a book, but I'm sure I'll be denounced. What do you write? He's kept these details. My guess is we'll get uh, the rule from Jerusalem. The Lord will say, uh, everybody with a gun, melt it. We're going to melt, turn in bullets, and uh, I don't know if angels will come and collect them, if you'll just hold up your rifle and an angel will come along and pick it up. If you have a jacket with a National Rifle Association patch, you won't need that anymore. I don't know if angels will pick it up or it'll be turn it into your block leader or what, it, what it'll be, but we'll be giving all our guns up. I think then we'll, we'll hear you're not allowed to speed anymore. See, you've got to thank goodness. That's right. Not a lot of speed. I wouldn't be surprised if the speed limit's 30 miles an hour. 
so nobody gets killed anymore. Now, I know somebody says, oh, wait a minute, Cohen. See, this is the danger of the... Somebody will say, no, we're not going to drive in cars anymore. We're going to ride in bicycles so you don't get hurt. Another person says, no, we're going to fly. We're going to fly. There'll be no cars. You just fly. Others will say, no, we're going to just kind of think and move. Or the people left on the earth will do that. Well, we don't know the details. God preferred to give us clearly how to live, and he kept these things. But if there are cars, I think he'll lower the speed limit. I think he's going to tell everybody to turn in their army suit. Oh, my, it's going to be interesting, won't it be? And the earth will be beautiful. Boy, he's going to close a lot of the uh, sin stores downtown Los Angeles. Uh, cable TV will be cleaned up. Boy, there'll be a lot of things. In Florida, they just, you know, in some other states, they've just said, well, it's students' rights to have pornographic books in the high school libraries and in the local Fort Lauderdale library. Uh, there's a big argument that they've put to certain pornographic magazines uh, in the local public library in some kind of misthinking about freedom and right. So now the little children go to the library and get all these magazines. Imagine that. Misguided without the Spirit of God. And no wonder, and they wonder why the murder rate is going up. Now, I don't agree with Norway totally. In Norway, they won't even let them see boxing on TV. You know that? Norway, you can't see the Olympic boxing. They won't allow it on TV. But, you know, we have over 20,000 murders. Uh, I don't think it's the boxing that does it, and I don't want to get in a big argument, you know, on the boxing. But uh, they hardly have any murders. Hardly have any murders. You know they have no murders in Saudi Arabia. My... I think the libraries will have their books. They'll clean out their books. Now, somebody will say, they won't clean out the books. An angel will do it. It'll just go, zzz, and all the bad books in the library will be gone. Maybe so. Or maybe people do it. But the Lord is coming back, and it says he will come with vengeance against the wicked, and he will save us. Now, then it says, when he comes back, in his salvation, in his comfort, there will be bodily healing. Bodily healing in the millennium, part of his comfort. I know Brother Estep has been sick. I have been sick. I'm about to be 50 in a couple days. Oh, my. I get a lot of oh, my. I feel sick now hearing that. Some have said I look 40. And I said if I look 40, I am 50, but I feel 60. But when the Lord comes, when the Lord comes, verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Now, I, believe, I think that'll be miraculous. I don't think it'll be that uh, we'll have more and more surgery, but, you know. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. You know, we'll have a lot of people free to work when you don't have prisons. In the millennium, we won't need prisons. Well, you release all the policemen to be farmers and all that. You start having more rain. You have all the soldiers and you have all the nuclear weapons. Well, we'll melt that down or whatever. Or the Lord will do that and we'll have to take all the poison gas and maybe uh, the Lord will just add some chemicals and make that a nice fertilizer. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, verse 5, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. When the Lord, he says, it says, the Lord will come and comfort his people. And this seems to be millennial. Verse 6, then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Water flowing, perhaps figurative and no doubt real. But notice I, I call your attention to verses 5 and the 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Shall the lame man leap as a heart, the tongue of the dumb shall sing. God says he will comfort his people. He will come. And when he comes, there will be these physical healings. Which seems to be characteristic of the entire millennial age. But he also did that at his first coming, didn't he? And I would like to show you a little argument about that verse in the New Testament that's very subtle. In chapter 7, verse 19, John the Baptist, excuse me, it's Luke 7, 19. Luke 7, 19. At this time, two years of our Lord's ministry is almost up, and John the Baptist has been put in prison by Herod Agrippa, the awful son of his awful father, Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was the great murderer of Palestine. And he killed three of his own sons. And he killed his wife. And he killed his mother-in-law. And he killed everybody related to his wife and the previous, the royal family. Herod the Great, the butcher of Palestine, also remarkably the great builder of Palestine, did more building than anyone. So John's in prison and John's getting a little anxious. I suppose that Jesus and John... Did, you know, did John the Baptist have, dead, have devotions at home? Must have. Incomprehensible, you know, that he never read the Bible, that he was playing pool every afternoon or something like that. You know, what are you going to do, John? Well, I'm going to be playing pool, then riding my bike around town. No. John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Ghost from a child, must have read the Bible. They must have discussed things like that. So he knew this passage in Isaiah. Anyway, it says, John, in verse 19 of chapter 7, John calling unto him two of his disciples in prison. He apparently had a window or something and could yell out. And uh, said, uh, Isaac and uh, Judas, come here. And he said, he sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you he that should come, or look we for another? You see, John was getting impatient in prison. Please turn the cassette over to hear the remainder of Dr. Cohn's second message from the book of Isaiah, titled, Comfort Prophesied to Jerusalem.